Lord, thank you for always being faithful to draw us together, to, to share in laughter and joy and, and encourage one another in the Lord. And, and Lord, in the time that we are living in, um, it's ever more important that we find ourselves together and uh, holding on and, and standing firm. So um, as we look at, at, at the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, this morning we pray that you would just uh, uh, bolster our faith and that we would stand stronger because of our time spent together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we were going to go over the next handful of weeks over the different components of the creed, but I think it's probably important that maybe we understand what is a creed. So your recollection, your understanding, what is a creed? Not Apollo, by the way. Okay. Statement of belief. Anyone have anything to add to that, or are they like, well, that's good? Okay. Confess. Okay. So a creed is a statement of belief that we confess, is what is what. In front of others. And, and okay, in front of others, great. Um, yeah, I mean the old small catechism says of what we believe and teach. Mm-hmm. Statement of what we believe and teach. Correct. Great. So you guys are scholars. You guys are. Everyone gets a gold star today. So <laughs> you get the first gold star, Mike, because you said first. No, but um, so uh, what are? The, well, how familiar are you with the three creeds that we, as as a Lutheran church, profess as um, ones that we adhere to? We'll call it that. Yeah. Oh, that's not. Okay, so Athanasian Creed, we don't recite that because it's like six pages long, single spaced, and so, um, but basically the Athanasian Creed takes the Apostles of the Nicene Creed and puts it on steroids, Um, but it really starts to define um, who Jesus is, um, his role, Uh, the the Nicene Creed came about because... um, there was dispute over who Jesus was. Um, and so the Nicene Creed in 381 came out and, and clarified that Jesus was God. So if you notice, we'll, we'll do the Nicene Creed every communion Sunday. And it says, very God of very God. Right? We clarify that. You know, because in the, in the Apostles' Creed, which is what we're going to go through in this this time is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, right? And then his Son, and then the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't clarify to the exception of the, the, the Council of Nicene, Nicaea, that Jesus was God. Because there was a, a lot of, lot of cl- questions. And, and I always think that when we look at church history at the beginning of the church, it helps me to think of the first about 500 years of the Christian church after Jesus' ascension as the Wild West. I mean, people were just, they, they were just, it was crazy. Um, and so it took some shaking and the true gospel made its way to the top because God will not be mocked. But there were some things that the church as a whole had to meet about and argue over and talk about and decide what going forward what was considered to be best doctrine. And so you still have, I mean, even today, we all have heard of these other fringe, you know, prosperity gospels um, and some other things that are out there that, that you're like, mm, that's not quite the pure gospel. So there's still a lot of this, but the majority of Protestants um, will agree on definitely this statement of faith in the creed. So why is professing a creed regularly, why do you think that's necessary? What? Remind okay, us. remind us. It unifies. Nice, unifies. What else? Emphasize what we believe. Great. Well, I mean, it's usually done in a corporate setting, in the church. Mm-hmm. Usually when it's done. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, us attending that profess together. And that's the unifying element. It's also the the reminding elephant uh, elephant <laughs> element. It's also you, you know the, the the shoring up of what we believe element. Um, if 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 you were to say if someone were to ask you, well, what do you believe? 
what's your faith about? If you had the elements of one of the creeds, you know, kind of there, I mean, it boils what we believe down to a very succinct, tangible phrasing. I mean, there's a couple sentences there, right? But, you know, we believe in, in one God. He's revealed in three persons. We believe that Jesus is God. He came. He died. He, he went uh, to the grave. Uh, and he rose again because death could not keep him down. And we believe that we're going to join him again. He's going to come back for us. Um, and then we believe in, in the communion of the saints. So there's, there's, there's the basic Christianity and so that's why I think it's really important that we recite it regularly and especially when the kids are in service with us because, because they need to, even if they're not, even if they're, you know, yeah, 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 whatever, like kids are, because by the way, adults are that way too. But um, uh, it would be, it still gets in there, right? And so if someone's going to go, well, what is your faith? Well, we believe in God, right? And we believe Jesus. Steve? I was going to say, hopefully it's an apparel that as you And we can get sidetracked very easily throughout the week. And so for me, it's really good to get back to, okay, what is, what, what is my faith really about? It's just about these elements. It's not that complicated, right? We're the ones that get all distracted with all the other stuff that's going on in the world, all the other ideas about the Bible, all the other ideas about God. But what God has revealed and what the church has fought for, um, in fact, the, the Apostles' Creed that we're going to look at um, believe, is believed... 150 A.D. to 2, not A.D., excuse me, B.C. 80, no, I'm right. Okay, 150 to 250 A.D. is, is where it was, was somewhat solidified. Um, but most historians believe that even as early as 80 A.D., the church was making a regular profession of faith that was similar to what the Apostles' Creed is. Because we were trying to, the Apostles were teaching, Right? And so they didn't have the books, they didn't have the Bibles, they didn't have the internet. They, in fact, a lot of them couldn't read. And so they had these, these things that they would recite just to say, this is what we believe. Um, and it was very unifying. I mean, I think that that was, what do we believe? This is what we believe. And so, but as far as formality, 150 AD would be the soonest, but for sure 250, the Apostles' Creed, Carly. Why the name? Because it was the because if you look at um, uh, the the scripture and I can't find it right now. Um, well, Acts two, uh, forty two, and and they broke bread together daily and and you know the church increased and they shared in the apostles' teachings, is what it says there. And so the beginning of the church didn't have the Bible. It had the what the apostles, those who had been with Jesus, were sharing from church to church and writing about. And so that's the apostles. Creed is, is like, so this is what the apostles taught the early church. So about 300 years after the apostles are gone. Well, it started before the apostles were, well, they, they, some people would say Paul mentioned it in some of his writings. There's definitely elements of it that Peter mentioned the, the creeds and some of it. But as far as a formality, this was taking what the apostles had taught and putting it together into a succinct um, statement of belief, so to speak. And so we would say that 150 AD, all the apostles had been, uh, had, had gone into glory by that point in time. 150 would be like, no, all the churches start having this in common, that they're stating this, this creed. By 250, it was more solidified to what we know it as today. For the most part, there's been a couple changes. Um, and, you know, some people won't say Holy Catholic Church some people say universal church instead because of there was after 1530 in the Protestant movement there was a 1517 was the beginning but 1530 was where the world break happened so which we'll get into with the Augsburg Confessions in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. What's that? When you when you I grew up with the Catholic. Sure, no, and, and I have no. Pr- if we I don't know when they changed it, but then I'm going. From it depends on denomination to denomination, yeah. you know. Well, we used to say Catholic here, mm-hmm. not. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, but then it was changed. To, Which it means universal. Also right. Was the the whole church? Yeah. Yeah. Does it mean Catholic as we think of the Catholic Church? Correct. Or 
Correct. Well, we have to remember that until the 1500s, there was only one church. There was only one Christian church, and it was the Universal Catholic Church. Um, and really up until 1200s, we would not have a whole lot of problem with everything that they taught. Um, maybe maybe 1100s, we'd start having some stuff, so but it was really the go, 1500s. If but. you go back to 150 AD, sure. was, was the church mostly in Rome, or where was it at that time? Turkey, uh, Rome, and um, also uh, obviously not the Americas, but <laughs> but there were some European. Uh, you know, Russia would be would be it would started to spread out that far. One fifty A.D. Uh, it was okay, spread I mean, right. The churches that Paul established, for example, correct. in Turkey or in, in right in that area. You got Greece, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Rome um, would have been. Uh, yeah, so I mean, again, Rome was the hubbub at the time, so that was where a lot of stuff was happening. And, uh, but from there, yeah. So let's uh, jump into parts of the creed and understand the deeper meaning of the statements. So I believe in God. So before we get into scripture here, what do you think we are stating when we proclaim, I believe in God? Okay, heart and mind. Okay. There is a God. Okay. I think that's that's probably an important thing. I believe in God. You get you take somebody off the street, and if you, if you believe that there's a God, well, yeah, maybe, right? But when we say I believe in God, we're, we're that's a declarative statement, right? We believe that He is that He exists. So that's important. Psalm thirty-one. 14. Somebody take a read at that for us. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. Okay. So that personal, we believe, I believe in God, indicates, according to Scripture, that, that maybe there's more than just, okay, I believe that there is God. But if I believe God, maybe there's a trust relationship that we're declaring when we say that. How about Deuteronomy 6.4? Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, so we're stating that there is one God, basically. We're, we're saying that there, there is no other gods. We believe in the one and true only God. And so even though we say I believe in God, we need to realize that there's a lot more to what we're saying than just, oh, I believe, I believe in God. There, there's, there's weight to what we're saying. How about Psalm 43, 5? Okay, so he's worthy of hope, right, in God. So when we say these things, and there's a lot more. I mean, you could go throughout Scripture and see this, this, this focus of attention to believing in God and that he is our hope, he's our refuge, he's our salvation, he's our strength, he's our peace. So when we say, I believe in God, which we will a little bit later this morning as, as, a, as, as a group, um, we're saying something more than just, I believe that there is God, or I believe that God exists. We're saying a declarative statement. We believe in God, who is our. We don't go into all the details, but from Scripture, we, we define God and what that relationship looks like, someone we trust in, someone we believe is our hope, Someone who exists, you know, and is, is singular in existence. There are no other gods. So why do you think, before we look at these scriptures, why do you think it's important, though, that even in the corporate setting, when we say it together, that we say I and not we? We can hide ourselves in we. Okay. Because each individual has to believe. You can't live on the faith of others. Right. Put two layers on there of subsiding. 
So why would you want that? And like, well, that's where they get it at mom's. Yeah. <laughs> I go, all right, then. Then I guess that's why we do it. Yeah. And I think that's the desire, I think, for, for every parent, um, for everyone who has, who has a loved one or a neighbor that they're praying for or someone in the community, is that they would lay hold of the faith that we cherish as their own. You know, it's interesting. You look at, at um, these acts of faith that people do on behalf of others. So, you know, presenting your child in baptism, when the, that's an act of faith that God honors the faith of the parents. Um, but we look at the, the, the four friends who brought the paralytic, and God looked at their faith and forgave the paralytic. But the paralytic still had to respond to Jesus, right? It could have been, okay, great. Uh, but, he, but he did say, you know, take up your bed, get up and walk. And the paralytic said, oh, no, I'm good enough with what you already said. You know, well, that doesn't mean much. Faith has action to it that God God instigates it, and then we respond in faith, and he gives us the strength, right? That guy didn't have the strength to get up on his own. Like, just like a child doesn't have the strength on its own to, to work out their faith. But it's our job, and we, we pray that, that, that we are in step with the Holy Spirit, that we're raising that seed of faith that was planted as we presented that child to the Lord and said, we want to raise this child in the way, and the congregation said, and we're going to help you raise this child, right? That that seed of faith um, is nurtured and, and it grows. And so for those of us who have kids and have had kids and watched them, right? Then there was times, whew, I was like, man, <laughs> they teach you how to pray. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's like they increase your prayer. Um, and then you see, okay, God honors. God's the faithful one, not, you, you know. It's not about our work. It's not about their work. It's, it's, it's God honors to bring them to a personal relationship with, with Jesus Christ in a real tangible way. And they're not just living off your faith. Um, I think you get seconds that way. Yes. The comments that were made about, well, that's the way my mom did it. And, you know, we, we give our children and we take from our parents certain things that we've taken our faith. But like in the Mormon faith, at what point in time do you become responsible to sit there and say, just because mom did it doesn't mean it's right, deciding. Just because grandma cut the end of the ham off, you know, doesn't mean that that's what you have to do. She did it just simply to put it in the pan. So it could fit in the pan, yeah. And then the next <laughs> side of that is when is it right to question versus being disrespectful? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. Well, it's a question. <laughs> Answer it. <laughs> well, well, it's funny because uh, from generation to generation, they always try to define themselves. And so... Um, you know, again, one of the reasons why I find it's important for us to make these statements of belief in a corporate setting when the kids are in there is because they are going to question their faith because the world is going to tell them that's a bunch of hooey, right? But, but you, all of us have experienced crises, crises? Yeah, you know, hmm. I, I is educated. Anyway, but, um, but we've all experienced these moments in our lives where we have, that, that I call faith-defining moments. Am I going to believe and trust God? Or am I going to try to figure things out on my own? And usually you've already tried to figure things out on your own, and the crisis is because that's all failed, right? And so now you're stuck with yourself and no other choice but to say, God, will you, will you take care of this for me, please? I'm at your... I've tried everything else. I've busted. It's all that I can do is to trust in you, and I can't even do that because I'm so broken. Um, and But again, back to, but why do you turn there? Because I believe in God. Sometimes our actions don't show it. Our kids' actions don't show it for sure. Um, but, you know, you, it's a challenge, Gene, because you want your kids to question. It's a, it's a whole real statement, but I want them to. I've always wanted my kids to ask why. Why do we believe that? And, and, and we can talk about it. And, and my son, who um, is a pastor, well, officially next week in, in El Paso, he and I argue about doctrine all the time. But it's fun for us. And so, but it's, that's the, the, the challenge is, okay, how do you look at this? Why do you believe that? 
Um, and so it's, it's tough for parents to do that though, because sometimes you just want your kid, just accept what I say, and in certain circumstances, that is what needs to happen. But when it comes to faith, we need to walk alongside them and say, okay, this is why we believe it, and we believe that this is what God is saying, and, but again, they have, we trust that they're gonna come to that conclusion. Right? Whether when we want them to or not is really not the issue. Um, we, we pray and we trust. Um, I think it's getting ready to go to sleep. So let's look at Habakkuk 2.4. Behold the proud, whose soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Okay. My, my version says the righteous shall live by his faith. Okay. Great. So again, by that's a personal thing, right? All right. I'm going to live by my faith. Now, it's great to have people that share your faith around you to encourage you, but I'm not getting to heaven because you believe, Steve. I'm getting to heaven because of the response to what Christ did in my life and what his work on my behalf has been. And I have to apprehend that by faith myself. How about uh, Romans 10.9? Okay, so it doesn't say you stand in a congregation and all of you confess with your mouth. It says if you, you personally confess with your mouth. So that's what we're doing. That's why the, now it's important though, to me, it is a special activity to profess your personal faith in the group of other believers. That's strengthening to me because it helps you realize I'm not alone. There's other people. Remember, well, probably you weren't there. None of us were. But Paul in Acts was, was, was kind of worried when he was in, I can't remember what city he was in. Yeah. And he, he was kind of praying, and then the Lord spoke to him and said, do not fear, I have many people here. Basically, you're not alone. You're not alone, because sometimes we feel like we're trying to live this faith on our own. Sometimes we feel like we're definitely the minority. Sometimes we feel like everybody, I'm like, I'm the crazy one here. Uh, but get used to it. I feel like that a lot. So, but you know, but uh, why? Why am I the? Only, and you're not the only one. And that's why it's important when we gather together. Very important to gather together because we realize we're not alone. You know, how many of you have? Uh, you don't have to show up hands, but just think if you've ever been through a moment in time where you haven't been in regular fellowship. You're a professing believer, but you haven't been in regular fellowship, and and how the doubts that you have and some of the fears and anxieties you have were there because you didn't gather together regularly. When you gathered together regularly, you felt a strengthening of your faith that you couldn't get on your own, that you could not get on your own. And so now we're going to look at, at some stuff, and there's a little, not homework, but some tests for you guys here, so we'll see. But um, when we talk about God, there's, there's three uh, dis- uh, clear um, attributes of God that are important for us to understand. So there's the omniscient, which is having complete or unlimited knowledge, awareness or understanding, perceiving all things. We believe God is omniscient. Complete knowledge of everything, right? Unlimited knowledge. There's nothing he does not know. Omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, all the time. That doesn't mean he's in a rock. It doesn't mean he's in a tree, you know, but it does mean that his presence is everywhere. God is everywhere. He has not left us to ourselves omnipotent or omnipotent depending on how you want to pronounce it but having unlimited power able to do anything now that doesn't mean he can make a rock so big that he can't lift it okay those are the weird stupid arguments that you hear well if god can you can do anything why can't he can he make a rock that he can't lift okay well that's a dumb question right just dumb so you can just call in fact you have my permission if someone says that to you go that's a dumb question you can say that to him and move on so, now what we're going to do is we're going to look at some scriptures here, and we'll see how far we get. Um, and we're going to decide uh, what attribute of God these scriptures represent. Is it omniscience, omnipresence, or omnipotence? So someone read John 4, 24. God is those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay. 
So is that omniscient, omnipresent, or omnipotent? Omnipresent. Good. Definitely omnipresent on that one. Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Okay, what will we say? Omnipresent. 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 He has knowledge of being good. Okay. How do you say that? Okay, so yeah, read that scripture again, Steve. Okay. You're onto something there. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and good and the good. Okay, so there's a knowledge of good and evil, is what you're saying there. So um, definitely om- om- omnipresent, but omniscient could def- we could we could make a case for that. Um, now it's interesting. Uh, I remember going through some of these in one of my classes years ago. Well, a couple years ago, two, three. Anyway, time flies. And um, some professors and, and scholars would say that some of these can only be one or the other. And I want to encourage us, that's not necessarily true. Some of them you can see multi, you know, at least one, but sometimes two, and sometimes three attributes in the scripture. So let's look at Revelation 19.6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Okay. What would we say that is? All-powerful. So omnipotent for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Genesis 1 1. Okay. So what's that? Omnipotent. Omnipresent. Omnipresent. Why omnipresent? Because basically he made everything. He has, he's, uh, he's in everything at, at uh, the same time. Well, but there's an interesting, and you're right, but there's, an, so definitely omnipotent. He created. That's, right. that's, but omnipresent in the sense that in the beginning God. So that indicates to us that, that, that he was the one who, who started everything. He was already there before the beginning of what we call time, right? So that would be definitely omnipresent because he was there already. Well, you could say, well, he create, in addition to creating everything physical, he created time. Yeah. Absolutely. And he created physics and mathematics, et cetera, et cetera, and so that everything moved in the heavens properly and mm-hmm. so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we did deploy the way into space and anyway, everything, right? Yeah. No, I agree. Gene. He's also omnipotent, mm. the first one. Omniscient. Omniscient. Because by doing that, he had to have unlimited knowledge. He has awareness of everything, understanding of all perceived things, perceived in that he created them. Mm-hmm. So it would be all three. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he created knowledge. In, in the last uh, 10 years over there, uh, I've been listening to, reading a lot of different uh, biblical scholars, and they're talking not only, uh, which uh, makes me just, blows my mind away is dimensions. I don't they say that there are in scriptures there's at least ten dimensions, but according to some people and so now you not only have one dimension, you've got all kinds of aspects and it, it, it's it's way beyond I can even begin to even well, and that's why we let those people just talk about that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Psalm nineteen verse one. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Okay. Omniscient, omnipresent, or omnipotent? Omnipotent. Okay. Could we say omnipresent? Because the, the heavens declare the creation, you know, shows forth. Maybe? The skies are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. All right, Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
Okay, everyone, what's that one? <laughs> Isaiah 44, verse 6. You guys ever play sword drills? This is what I was called when I was a kid, where you hold your Bible like this, and the teacher calls out a, a scripture, and the first person to stand up and read it, you know, gets a point or candy or something. Did that? that, that by the way, that's a great way to, to teach your kids where things are in the Bible. Um, usually halfway, if you open halfway, usually that's the Book of Psalms, and then you start learning which to the right and the left. Anyway, so anyway, just. Isaiah 44, yeah, 6. Right. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Well, what's that? Yep. He is all-powerful. Hebrews 1, 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay. What did we say? All powerful again? Absolutely. Yeah. First John three twenty. I'm going to get to the difficult ones to find. <laughs> Just hides. They have a special routine. Yeah. <laughs> 20, is it? Yeah. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Oh, there's a couple in there. What is it? Okay, omniscient, he knows everything. Right? Yeah. Oh, so maybe there's three there. Because he is greater than. So we'll take all three. Why not? Uh, Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. and we'll see what we can get out of it. Um, God, it seems you've been our home forever. Long before the mountains were born. Long before you brought earth itself to birth. From once upon a time to kingdom come, you are God. So the message Bible, Eugene Pat, uh, Peterson, is actually fun for devotional, I think. It's uh, we missed some things with Eugene Peterson. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend it as a legitimate, uh, like, good study translation. But sometimes it's fun to go. Okay, how does he say this? Um, I would say the the New Living Translation is that way too. There's a lot of good thought for thought. J. B. Phillips has some good translations of the same thing. Um, do, doesn't quite capture, you know, scholarly what is being said. But it does give you some stuff to ponder. So, um, so I'm not discouraging anyone to read it. I'm just saying don't use it as a study Bible. That's all. Um, if he's your source, <laughs> well, you wouldn't be here. That's really what it boils down to. So, uh, so again, God, you've been our you've been our home. You're our abode forever. Before I even was, you were. Right. So that is definitely omnipresent. I would say omnipotent. Um, yeah, we'll do anything, yeah. How about uh, Psalm 139, 1 through 4? Carly. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. Definitely omniscient. And I think uh, it, omnipresent also, for sure, right? Uh, 1 Timothy one seventeen. 
a mean teacher making you go back and forth between the Old Testament. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Pretty much all of it <laughs> in there. And so that, that, that 117 there that was just read is what some scholars believe were the makings of creeds in the beginning of the church. These professions of, of clarity of who God is. Now to the King Eternal, the only wise God, right? So, now, now let's dive in. We, we still have some time. Let's run through it. Let's do this. How can we know God? Romans 1, 19 through 20. Yes, put your Bibles away. We want it for memory. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for what can we, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So how can we know God? Creation declares. Creation we cannot deny. We can because we exchange the truth of God for a lie. But but you, you can't, in a reasonable mind, you can't deny that there's an existence of God. There's a creator. And, and that, I love what that says in Romans. Because when people ask me, well, what about the person, the Aborigine, right? Well, there's no excuse for anyone. Anyone who's, who's been part of this world and seen the creation that God has, has, there's no excuse. How about John 1, 12 through 13? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children, to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Okay. So we would say there that if we believed, God gave us and made us aware of him, and now we know him because he has revealed that to us. First John 4, 7 through 8. That book that hides. Yeah. Yep, you did. Because anyone who's born of God knows God, right? And they love, right? God is love. So uh, that's, that's a cool thing. So how is our life impacted by the declaration, I believe in God? Let's look at Romans 14, 11. Philippians 2, 10 through 11. Revelation 4, 9 through 11. There's a whenever theme here. The, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You, For you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. 
Okay, so Romans and Philippians say that at, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And Revelation shows you that picture, right? That they're falling down. So, how is our life impacted when we on Sunday mornings gather together and we say, I believe in God? What are we saying? What else are we, is it, is when we proclaim, I believe in God, how else is that impacting us? Hopefully we're being renewed in, in Him. Okay. Yes, Jean. It's acknowledging that we have submitted our lives. Okay. So you use the word submit, um, so I'm going to tag on that. There's a, there's a humbleness. So Romans and Philippians, at, at every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Um, the elders, they fell down. So there's a sense of, of coming under, or we'll use the word submission, but also a humbleness. You are God, and I'm not. So when we say, I believe in God, that's a declarative statement that holds a lot of, I mean, we could go on and on about the attributes of God. We really could. And so I think it's fun, by the way, just a little challenge. When you're reading scripture and there's, there's things about God, go, man, is this his om omnipresence? Is this his omniscience? Is this his omnipotence? Let's look at it. But, so we look at it, but, but when we say it together, my hope and my prayer is that we go, man, when I actually say that there's more, there's more than just reciting a creed together when we, when, we, when we meet and we do it in service. There's like, wow, there's weight to this statement. And so when we say, I believe in God, wow. We're ahead of the curve, right? We're, we're bowing before we're made to be bowed. Because <laughs> that's what's going to happen at the end. It's like, you know, if you railed against God your whole life, it doesn't matter. He's still, he's still saying, guess what? You're bowing. And uh, so how, what a privilege it is and what an honor it is to know God and be able to freely come under his authority and say, I believe in the omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent God. And that's what we're saying when we do that. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. I pray that as we go through these things and we look at the, the wonderful implications and the impacts of these statements of faith, Lord, that it would just give us a greater awe of who you are, a greater depth, uh, a, res a resurgence of excitement for who we have the privilege of knowing and serving. And so we thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself so clearly to us. Help us uh, to, to just live for you. Um, and to walk in the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, traditionally, a day celebrated when the wise men from the East, or the Magi, come and visit Christ. And it's the revelation that God is the God of the Gentiles, too. That Jesus came to save Gentiles, too. But we have a couple things that I want us to notice as we continue talking about Epiphany. Epiphany is that which reveals, or that which shines forth. And so as we look through scriptures over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. And, and we even say in the song that, that we are waiting for yet another day of epiphany, right? The revealing of Jesus coming back for much like Advent, right? We, we celebrate the fact that, that he came, but we also look forward. So we celebrate the fact that he revealed himself as Jesus the Christ throughout his earthly ministry. And people came and they, and they professed that he was the Christ through their actions. The, the Magi came, right? They gave him gifts proclaiming that this is the king of the Jews. This is the king, but also he's the king of us. But yet we recognize that and we look forward to when he pronounces king over us officially. And as we looked at Bible says, where even every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And we thank the Lord that we get a head start on all of that, right? That we get to do that. So today we're going to talk about the foolishness of God. 
Now, that might be something that you're like, mm, man, I, I, I wrestle a little bit with that phrase. But can God appear foolish? And I think to the natural man, I think there's times that he does appear. I mean, think about this. One man comes, lives a perfect life, and hangs on a cross. And for all time and eternity, his death on the cross pays for the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. That, to the natural mind, makes no sense at all. There's many things that happen in our lives. You're like, but God. If we're not for God, you know, the trust in God in certain circumstances might seem foolish to the natural mind. And I would, I would venture to say some of us right now are struggling because it seems just the no-win situation sometimes to trust in God because the world wants nothing to do with God. In fact, they're making foolish decisions. But we stand for Jesus Christ. And that he has revealed himself clearly that he is trustworthy. Now, before we get too crazy, we also have to remember 1 Corinthians 1.25. Right before what Laura read this morning. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God. Now, many of us would say, I would never say foolishness and God in the same sentence. Well, the Apostle Paul did, so we're in good company. But what he's saying is that even, even the, the things that seem foolish to us in our natural mind are still greater and better because God is awesome. <laughs> so we see this account today in Matthew chapter 3 that Jesus was baptized. And immediately from uh, up from the water, behold, the heavens were open, right? Again, I always encourage us to put ourselves in this scene. What must that have looked like? Not only for, for John, the Baptist, but what about the people? There were a lot of people hanging out there. A lot of people going into water because John preached the baptism of repentance. Repent of your sins. Turn. So come and be baptized. What must that have looked like? So if we were watching this, we would hear the voice from heaven. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, John the Baptist. Um, that's still, I think, a calm picture of him. Uh, my, my, Laura had drawn a while back. I, I, so I wrote a song years ago called John the Baptist. And it's kind of kooky and kind of crazy. But we were thinking, man, it would be great to do like a video with it. Of, and, and, and Laura is a, is a pretty, well, she's a good artist. So I'm like, hey. She's like, what do you want John the Baptist to look at? I'm like, you figure it out, right? You're the artist. And he was pretty crazy looking, and I liked it. I don't think John was normal. But here's what we need to understand about John. is John was baptizing, he was creating crowds that were coming for repentance to be baptized. In fact, not too long before this moment in Matthew chapter 3, John said, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world, and who he is greater than I in his sandals. I, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And now just picture this for a second. This one is greater than I, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the whole world, is walking in the water towards you, if you were John. I can imagine John going, uh, so why are you coming to me? Uh, thinking, maybe he's thinking in his mind, am I not doing things right? Is this the end of my ministry? Is it time for me to decrease and, and he to increase? Well, yes and no, but pretty much, yeah. If, what, what am I supposed to do? And then Jesus comes and says to him, I need to be baptized by you. Now John knew that, that there was nothing for Jesus to be repented about. So this seemed like foolishness to John. Why would I even baptize? In fact, he said he would have prevented him. And, and Matthew's really kind there. There was, there was probably a little bit of a discussion between John and Jesus. I mean, think about the apostle Peter. How many times was he walking with Jesus? So he said, no, never. <laughs> you know, and, and Jesus is like, hey, you're getting in the way of the things of God here. Because what seems foolish to you is wisdom in God's eyes. So he's, Jesus is saying, hey, I know this seems foolish to you, but let it be so because all righteousness is fulfilled in this. And so, I don't know what John the Baptist said to me, but I went, okay. And then went ahead and baptized him. You know, he obeyed. But I think there are times where faith and the calling of God to us seem foolish. There may be times where God's like, I want you to trust me in this. And you're like, it doesn't make sense to me. But when we obey, we get a greater glimpse into who Jesus really is. Just think about what we saw when John obeyed and baptized. A voice from heaven said, this is my son, my beloved. 
with whom I am well pleased. And we saw that the Spirit, like a dove, came down proclaiming who he was. So the seemingly foolish act proved to produce a divine revelation announcing the presence of Jesus in the world. This is fantastic for us to know. This is the trustworthy statement. I don't know what you're all going through right now, but there might be some things where you're like, I need to trust God in this. I believe God is asking me to do this, but it just doesn't make sense to me. None of it makes sense to the natural mind, but God has proven himself strong on your behalf. God is trustworthy, and he will give you a revelation of himself that maybe you would have never known if you did not obey. So let's look at some other examples that we have in Scripture of where it might have seemed a foolish choice. So in Judges chapter 6, we have the story of Gideon, who was called the mighty man of valor. Now let me give a little backstory to this. The Midianites had kind of overcome and taken over Israel, had a little help from their, their friends, the Amalekites, um, not good people. And what was happening is, is that they would harvest, they'd plant, and when it came harvest time, the Israelites would plant. The Midianites and the Amalekites would come and take everything. And so the, what we find is, in fact, in Judges 6, it says, and the Israelites were hiding in caves. And so there's one story of Gideon who was hiding in a cave. Now, they believe that the wine press that he was in was actually hidden in a cave because they tried to get creative, and they still wanted to have wine, I mean, after all. And, and so you're in the wine press, and he's trying to thresh wheat. Now, wheat typically was done open like this. And so you see that little, I don't think this little thing works on the screen. Works there, but see, it goes up right now. Go away. Anyway, so where's the cat? So I don't want to prove that we're all like cats, so I'll turn it off, right? <laughs> but that little sled there, what, they put rocks on it. Um, I guess if, if kids wanted a ride or something, the horse would take them around, and they would crush the wheat on the ground. And and what would happen is the kernels, and we see Jesus. You know, with his disciples taking the grain of wheat, they rub it together so that the kernel of wheat is left, and that's where the nutrients are, and the rest, the rest goes away. In fact, you could crush it and go like this, and the wheat would remain. And so what they would do is they would get this wheat, they'd spread it out, they'd crush it, and then they'd take those uh, fork rake-like things, and they would throw it up in the air, and then the wind would take away the chaff, and what remained on the ground was the wheat. That's how they, they got the wheat out of it. So picture for yourself for a moment, here is Gideon, in a cave, in a wine press, you saw that per picture from the beginning right there, and that's a wine press. In a cave, in a wine press, trying to get the wind to take away the chaff, hiding from the Midianites and the Amalekites. And an angel appears to him and says, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Now, again, putting ourselves in this place again, here Gideon is hiding and he's like, oh, I think you got the wrong address. I'm in a cave. I'm hiding. I'm doing work that really is not working because, you know, there's, it's not very drafty in here right now. But no, he's called that. And we know that Gideon is charged to be used by God in many great ways. And he takes an army, and God even whittles that army down. If you read the account, he's like, oh, 300 guys. Awesome. Let's go. Um, and so they go and they win the, the victory. Now what seemed foolish probably to Gideon, God's like, no, this is my wisdom. And some of the, what we need to realize is that the wisdom of God that seems like foolishness is because there's no other way for us to explain it other than God moved and God worked. If Gideon was this mighty man who was fighting and then God came to him, and, then Gideon might have been able to take some credit. There's no way that Gideon can take credit for this. So it may have seemed like a foolish choice, but remember, God's foolishness is wiser than any human wisdom. Consider the parable of the lost sheep that Jesus spoke. Now, it was pretty common when, when uh, shepherds would take sheep out that they might lose one or two according to you know, what happens. You know, there's animals out there that come and they pick them up, and how can you possibly be by 100 sheep at once? But here came a time where roll call was happening and the shepherd is calling the sheep in and he goes, oh man, Joe's missing, right? Joe's missing again. And so he, he runs, leaves the 99 to go find the one. Now it was common for one to be picked off by a wolf. It was common. Why would he go leave the 99 unprotected to go get the one? It seems foolish. We need to remember Isaiah chapter 55. 
God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I think that God has given some ideas for us in Scripture when we can look at our situation and go, okay, what's God's thoughts about this? Because I'm seeing it one way. And the one way that I see it causes anxiety and fear and depression and loneliness and irritation and anger. What's God seeing? His ways are not my ways. And sometimes that we're, that's where faith steps in. Because His ways might seem foolish to you. But He has proven Himself over and over again that his foolishness in our mind is greater than our greatest ideas and our greatest wisdom. So we need to be mindful that our natural wisdom and what we consider natural sound reason cannot comprehend the great workings of God. His ways are not our ways. And I'm so thankful for that. I would have never thought that if he came down to earth, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the grave, that I would say that, my, that his blood cleanses me from all sin. I would never have thought of that. And I, I could honestly say I don't think anyone in their natural mind would have ever thought of that. God's ways are not our ways. Let me introduce you to Shrek. Now some of you might have be familiar with this, uh, with this guy. This is 2006 in New Zealand. Shrek um, was a sheep who was very famous who avoided shearing for six years. Um, he would run and he would hide in caves. Huh, interesting. He would run and he would hide in caves uh, to avoid that day when everything would be, you know, taken off. But what we find happening, you can kind of see here with Shrek, is that he can't see very well. Um, he's got a very, very large matted coat. And doctors were saying if they wouldn't have gotten to him and shared it, he probably would have died. Because he, he couldn't see, he was having a hard time breathing because of the weight of the coat. And, for, and after six years, he was hiding in the cave and he could not escape his owner. So his owner gets him and he takes him. Now, I think there's a great parallel for us. When we try to run and hide from God, all we do is heap sin and more sin and more sin upon ourselves. And it becomes sometimes difficult for us to see. We have a hard time moving and functioning. But yet we think we know something better. And so we continue to try to hide. We continue to try. And we find ourselves somewhat paralyzed and immobile. And, you know, one thing I, I love about our Lord is that he'll, he'll, he'll patiently go, Okay, you done? Are you done? A pastor friend of mine, when, he, when people would come in for counseling, if they were um, suffering from drug addiction, he would say, before we get started, he goes, I need to know something. Are you done? Because if you're not done, we're wasting our time. So here's Shrek, finally getting caught. His owner grabs him and says, I'm going to do what's right for you. And so there he is getting sheared a little bit, right? He's at the mercy there. Um, that's some gross stuff. We need to walk back for sure. <laughs> right? But, but just think about what Jesus does for us. He takes us. He pursues us. He grabs us in our cave. We're blind. And, and he, he, he shears all the sin and removes it to where we don't even look anything like we did before. And in fact, then he places his righteousness upon us. This is not righteousness, but kind of look at that. And he looks like, now Shrek looks like he's smiling right there. <laughs> and so it's a fascinating thing to me because this is a, a real tangible picture for six years. This sheep just hid and tried to get away and got dirty and muddy and couldn't see and couldn't breathe and couldn't move because he was so gripped by the sin that entangled him. And his master comes and says, hey, come here. I have something better for you. I want to help you. Some similar to what Jesus. Now, many people would say it's foolishness to waste your time with an animal like that. Why, why are you wasting your time with Shrek? He doesn't want to be sheared. But the owner relentlessly pursued him. Though we run and hide, Jesus pursues us to make us righteous in him. Remember when he was being baptized, he said to John, this needs to be done for all righteousness to be fulfilled. So let's bring this home. God sees things differently, right? I think we see this. Jesus comes to John, and John's like, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. Jesus says, let it be so. Gideon's hiding in the cave. The angel comes and says, mighty man of valor. He's like, okay. Jesus comes to us. We're running and hiding just like Shrek, the lost sheep. Foolishness to leave all the others behind just for the one, but he doesn't. And he says, I have something better for you. My ways are not your ways. 
We hide, God pursues. This is so good for us to know. And this is such, I think, comfort for us when we're praying for kids and loved ones and family members and people in our community. Even though they're high, they can't get outside the grasp of God. Psalm 59 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. There is hope for everyone. There are no lost causes. Because of Christ, we are well-pleasing to God. If you don't hear anything else today, please hear this. When Jesus came up out of the water, we hear the words. We see the Spirit upon him. We hear the words from the Father saying, This is my Son with whom I am well-pleased. Also before that says, Whom I love. Our life, we're told, is hidden in Christ. So those words are pronounced over you and I. You may not feel loved. You may feel like you don't deserve the love. Well, you don't, by the way. That's great news. You don't deserve the love. Shrek didn't deserve to be gone and pursued and taken, you know, and cleaned up. You know, as far as he was concerned, he wanted to die in that capacity. He didn't know any better. But just like sheep, we are the sheep that God pursues and loves. So let's just take a moment and reflect upon that and we'll respond in song.